People of the world, it's the Brothers Talk family with your hosts, Rod, Scott, and Norm. Join us each Friday wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts or on our website to hear us three black, unfiltered African-American men with no strings attached, giving voice to the most feared, most misunderstood, and most rarely heard from segment of the population on topics of interest to us for education, enlightenment, and entertainment. You can reach us with your comments, questions, and suggestions at The Brothers Talk on Twitter, The Brothers Talk on Instagram, and the Facebook group of the same name. And also follow us on Facebook. And if you want to share in more detail, hit us up at the email address, thebrotherstalk at gmail.com. Stay tuned for our soon-to-launch YouTube channel, and now on with this week's show. Come on in to the Brothers Talk family den, kitchen, barbershop, backyard, corner, or wherever you hold your relevant conversations to spur your critical thinking and activism around the support for the Black community. We can't stress enough the need for critical thinking and why we need it now more than ever. And we're also keeping the attention on our relaunching Black Wall Street nationwide campaign that we introduced two years ago. And while others have come and gone, we're still championing this cause after over 100 weekly podcasts. That's our commitment to what we need to be doing to create more Black wealth and self-sufficiency in our communities, one household at a time. Welcome, as always, to our first-time listeners. We look forward to you becoming long-time listeners and spreading the word about us and what we're doing. Just before you hear from my brothers in the war on ignorance and indifference, We want to give you one last chance to participate in our listener appreciation contest that will result in a listener getting the chance to honor us with your presence. All you need to do is tell us your favorite episode, guest, and or topic, and tell us why, and you could be our guest during Black History Month. You can send your submission to The Brothers Talk on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or email us, thebrotherstalk at gmail.com. We repeat it again at the end of the show, but now's your chance to let the world hear from you and how you think. And now to my brothers in the struggle for critical thinking, Scott and Norm. Hi, family. Uh, Thank you for your continued support as usual, as always. And I just want to echo what what we've been talking about for the last, I don't know how many months when it comes to the pandemic. There doesn't seem to be any any signs of this slowing down in sight. And I think that we're in a situation where this is turning into just a chronic disease that we're going to have to keep getting booster shots every year. But we can't get to that point unless people go and get vaccinated, wear their mask, social distance, do all the things that the medical professionals tell you to do. And now what we got to do is continue to support Black businesses. Uh, It's critical now uh, that we support black businesses and support each other. Noah? Thanks, Scott. And, uh, you know, as a community, we cannot move forward unless we embrace wellness and health, financial literacy, and, you know, and brotherhood. I mean, we really got to come together and work as a community to move forward. So come on. All right. And so, Scott, you had an interesting piece of information that you shared with us this week about the inequities around the legalization of marijuana, particularly as it relates to the black community. So can you start us out with that topic? Yeah. You know, one of the things that, that really, really uh, caught my attention and what really made me think that we should use this as a topic that people need to talk about it is I saw an article where nuns, there are some nuns in California who are now, growing marijuana and had has a dispensary to dispense 
medical marijuana. None. But yet, black people are still going to jail, going to prison for marijuana possession, for marijuana use, where other folks, non-blacks, are becoming millionaires. And I'm like, there's a problem here when in certain in certain states you have legalized marijuana for medicinal purposes, but in states that are where you have a large population of blacks, for some reason that's slowly, slowly happening in those, like say the state of Georgia, where marijuana is not legal in any form. Well, why? Because what, maybe 30% of the population of Georgia, 25% of the population of Georgia are blacks, are African-American. So they're not going to legalize it. And there just seemed to be a pattern there. And I'm, I'm not understanding why the federal government won't just step in and say, okay, we're going to make the playing field uh, equal. You got a situation where why is it that we always got to go and beg Uncle Sam to give us our fair share? We are disproportionately represented in prisons for marijuana possession and marijuana use. But yet, now that it's legalized, we're at the bottom of people who are actually making money from selling and producing marijuana. Well, you said it. Since we're still the largest prison population in the world, it means that there's a lot of money to be made off of keeping us incarcerated. And so this is almost like what the, the Civil War was fought about when they tried to talk about states' rights. Well, what it is, is the state's right to keep black people in jail because privatizing prisons means you can make more money off of us being in prison than you can with us being in college. And prison labor as well. But just to clarify here, marijuana use across all races of all people are the same. And the same with drug right. dealing. I mean, it's the same across every demographic. But African-Americans are arrested at a higher rate and incarcerated at a higher rate for the same exact crimes. You know, now that, that's an interesting uh, statistic, Norm, when you talk about the use uh, across all, all groups. And so in that case, you know, we're 13% of the population and white folks are what, 55, 60% of the population? But yet, that I don't know what the exact numbers are, but well, I know- We actually have 49%, but like you said, it's still crazy that, like you said, 13 to 14% of the, of the population represents almost half of those incarcerated. And when you look at things like marijuana use, then it does scoot up to like 70% of those who are incarcerated for marijuana use are African-American. Right. right. And, that, and, that, and so to me, that where are the politicians? You know, um, and I... Our last week and our last guest, we talked about the, the Congressional Black Caucus. I have never heard, and she said the Congressional Black Caucus doing a lot. You know, they're behind a lot of, you know, I guess they're behind the scenes doing something. But I never heard one of them, not one time, talk about the disparities and why is it that with marijuana, which right now, what you have people doing, they're writing bills so that uh, the NIH can do more studies on magic mushrooms and marijuana, the medicinal properties of marijuana, but yet we're still getting locked up for, it just doesn't make any sense. And why aren't we pushing Biden, the, the Biden administration? Why didn't they push the Obama administration 
the Congressional Black Caucus, they need to take the lead on some of these things that are impacting black folks in a negative way. I can honestly say the CBC is working under the radar because nobody can pick up what they're doing. That's for sure. But my, my real question here is, why is the federal government not addressing the marijuana uh, issue in regards to the legalization in several states and just and just making and making it basically um, a profitable drug that states can sell and tax and gain revenue on? I told you it is about the money, and because you have states that are still relying on a specific part of their their statewide revenue based on incarceration of black people over these low level drug offenses, then the federal government, because the federal government hasn't even weighed in as to whether or not it hasn't taken the uh, marijuana off the table as a gateway drug. They still have that on their books. So, you know, it's really just money talking. That's all. And when you get to the point that they have, like they have here in New Jersey, with these white Republicans who've come in and set up the ground structure for them to be able to make money off of the marijuana usage, then once that's all taken place, just like they did with alcohol, once they got it in place for them to make as much money off of the legalized use of marijuana as they do incarcerating people, then you're going to see it change. You know, another, another, I think another, because I've thought about this and I'm like, okay, one of the other issues that, that people don't talk about. You got to remember that for the last 40 plus years, I'll say 50 to 40 years, marijuana has been the number one uh, crop producer, number one uh, uh, selling crop in the country. I mean, when we're talking about uh, produce and all that, it's marijuana. Farmers are growing more marijuana illegally. They've been doing it, and that I think that has something to do with it. So you got a system where young black people and black people and poor black people are caught into this web where you got these farmers growing marijuana. I mean, and this is just my theory based on information I did pull together. So you have a, every now and then you have a big bus from across the border where, hey, we just got so many pounds or so many tons of marijuana, but that ain't where the marijuana come, we've been coming from. The marijuana, that's just a distraction that's spoken mirrors. The marijuana is coming out from the bluegrass of Kentucky and Florida and California and Georgia and Mississippi and all that fertile land. And that's where they've been, you know, these, these people are growing marijuana illegally. And the people that you're talking about, Rod, the low-level drug dealers, they're selling that marijuana, but they're going to prison in, these, in this system. And this has been going on for years. So you got to factor that in with the prison industrial complex. But legalizing it, how are you going to legalize half the country, quarter of the country, more than a quarter of the country, going to legalize it, but the rest of us still are, are exposed to possibly going to jail for possession? Well, that's what it is with states' rights, that in essence, in what's called a federation, that you allow states to have that much independence. And so until they, they can reach an agreement that it is not a Schedule II narcotic, then it's going to still be out there that way. So the next thing that I want to bring up is the situation with the Supreme Court. And of course, Stephen Breyer has decided to uh, step down at the end of the current Supreme Court term. He's 83 years old. And unlike 
all the folks who were championing Ruth Bader Ginsburg when she knew she was old and frail and a two-time cancer survivor and refused to step down and make way for Obama to have had the opportunity to appoint another Supreme Court justice. She stayed in there until she died and then allowed 45 to basically pack the court with what we have now. And so, but Breyer stepping down, and of course, we know that Biden had said during his campaign that he would appoint a Black female as a Supreme Court justice. And oh, suddenly the outrage from the right about the discrimination that there is, that he would uh, eliminate other women from other ethnic minorities. And, and, and yet, until the days of Reagan and the first female, where he announced that he was going to appoint a female, we didn't hear any outcry from them about eliminating half of the nation who were men. And so it just shows some more of the hypocrisy that goes on and why those folks, again, like the Congressional Black Caucus, aren't out front calling it out and loudly so. I mean, you hear some of them in sort of the private conversations when they're not in the mainstream of the day's news, but we need them to be out front, just like Kamala Harris needs to be out front, really saying what it is, that that's just another example of overt racism. You know, I, I'm, I have a problem. I'm kind of frightened, actually, by Biden, who he might choose um, to fill that position, because, you know, that's how we got Clarence Thomas. So just having a black face does not mean success or anything better for our community. Yeah, you but know, Clarence he, Thomas, though, was by Bush. Uh, well, you're, you're saying that like there's a difference. Well, well, it is in that the people who are advising Biden are not going to allow him to put a, a, a clown like Clarence Thomas on the court. Uh, the two people, the women, the one from South Carolina, and um, uh, I forget the other one's name, but but there was this guy. I think his name is Jim Pesuto. He's a lawyer. He was where he was like he's arguing some court arguing before uh, of the Supreme Court, and he said that he named three black women that he said were insanely talented and uh, and more qualified than most of the Supreme Court justices who are currently sitting on the bench or anybody who's ever been a Supreme Court justice. He said, that's just how brilliant these women are. And it's a shame that it's taken this long to get one of them on the Supreme Court. Yeah, and one of the reasons why I think it is different, Norm, is because with the divisiveness that's in the country now, is you can't bring a Candace Owens or Larry Elder or anybody else who's going to be in there cooning because there's too much backlash, blacklash that's going to happen. <laughs> From the black community. Yep. And, and Biden, Biden knew when he made that promise and that uh, if the problem was buyer was just dragging his feet. And like they say, God bless the dead. I don't know what I want to say that about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, because what was she thinking? That she was going to live forever? I mean, people was telling her, hey, look, you know, that this is this is what's going to happen if you don't step down. And you well, know, she, she got gassed up. A lot of her supporters, you know, She's a fighter, stay, and, you know, she got gassed up, and, uh, you know, history's made. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was one of those times where, you know, you, you're putting yourself uh, ahead of the country because that's basically what she was doing, putting her own interest, you know, talking about mm -hmm. her push-ups and her health and being on 60 Minutes and everything, and so basically she put her own interest ahead of the, the best interest of the country. Yep, that's exactly what happened. 
And now look where we are. We, they had a buffoon of point three justices. And uh, hey, the country's in, well, it's not it's in a dire state than I thought it was because they are not upholding what he thought. He thought that, oh uh, yeah, this, you know, that mafia, you know, he got that mafia mentality or, and he was thinking that, hey, these are my people, my judges. My this, my that, and they're like, no, nah, no, nah, player, we don't roll like that. We know we gonna follow the constitution, and uh, so far, we'll see what they're gonna do with this uh, decision about about abortion. Uh, that's gonna be the telltale sign. So the other thing that has really come out this past week is in the city of New York, and a lot of times when things happen in New York or happen in California, it's just a matter of time before it spreads to the rest of the country. But I think. In New York's case, it was not only a response to the booming unemployment figures. And when I say unemployment figures, I mean the fact that there are lots of jobs that have gone unfilled and basically a labor shortage that the city of New York has now a new law that says that if you are posting a job, then you must share the salary requirements for that job. And so, as I said, the first reason is because they really want to try to cut down the cycle and make sure they're getting people to apply for these jobs. But the other part of it is they're looking to address the wage gap that has existed across gender and and ethnic minorities. And so I think because across the country, there is this huge gap in terms of the number of people that are actually employ, applying for these jobs, I think it's something that's going to continue to spread because I think I know for a fact that you know, I work in that field of career management. And so I know more people, that's the number one thing they want to know when they start to apply for a job is what does it pay? So I'm glad to see that as a start by the nation's largest city. And I have to believe that if it starts to show real successful dividends, that the rest of the country will soon be followed. You know, uh, it's about time that people stop denying that that white boys are given preferential treatment in everything. So I don't know why they're in denial about the fact that white boys are being paid more money than any other group for doing the same job or less than the same than, than that job. Mazo uh, must. Bill Gates, okay, you CEO and founder of the company, but the people on the ground, boots on the ground, are the ones who are really making this happen. But yet, you're, you got these astronomical salaries, and I know that's not what you're talking about, Rod. But it's kind of a, a, a situation where you know, hey, there's no limit to how much money white boys can make, but everybody else that is a a, a, a ceiling. True, and hopefully this will make the playing field a little more even. And um, because, again, black men, women of color are way down the line on that pay scale. All right. So that's it for another episode of the Brothers Talk. And this week in our professional black business spotlight, we want you to meet Shawnice Alexander and her four children, Destiny, Trinity, Serenity and Joshua. They are the founders of Popcorn Munchies, one of the fastest growing black owned gourmet popcorn brands in the country. Their Maryland-based company's most popular specialty is their caramelized pecan flavor. When the business officially launched, they quickly began fulfilling nationwide orders, using the shipping processes, and also making personal deliveries to local customers who happen to live nearby. 
So far, the business has been an overnight success with continuous orders. When the pandemic began, the kids were saying that they had no other choice but to stay home and be bored. So Shawnee didn't let their valuable time go to waste. She encouraged them to perfect the craft of making popcorn, which they love, learn the entire process from start to finish, and start their very own gourmet popcorn business. Not long after, Popcorn Munchies was born. For the children, it's been especially a blessing to work with their mom and also to see their hard work pay off doing something they love. And no doubt the business lessons they are learning will turn them all into future entrepreneurs on a bigger level when they get older. So kudos to Popcorn Munchies. And you can visit them online at popcornmunchies4.com. So that's a wrap for another program. And God willing, we'll keep our focus on the issues that impact our community and on the path to a better future. Don't forget our listener appreciation contest and that all you have to do is tell us your favorite episode, guest, and or topic and tell us why. And you could be a guest on our Black History Month podcast. So be sure to send that information in where you can follow us on the Brothers Talk on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or email us, thebrotherstalk at gmail.com. We appreciate your time and interest. Remember, we'll never take it or you for granted. And as always, let's do better today because that's all we really have.